are humans and animals of equal value? Is a tiny infant a person? We'll discuss the value of life at every age and every stage on tonight's program, a debate between two ethicists, Princeton professor Peter Singer and Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. He not only threw me under his campaign bus, he backed up and ran over me again. All right. That's Senator Larry Craig of Idaho. And, of course, you know that he's been charged, and he actually pled guilty to um, propositioning an undercover police officer in a men's restroom in an airport um, sexually. And he said he would resign. Now he says he's not going to resign. This was on NBC's Today Show, that sound you just heard. And uh, he's talking about Mitt Romney, though. Mitt Romney was using Senator Craig for campaign support. He had a, a leadership position in the campaign. And Larry Craig says, Romney ran over me with his campaign bus and then backed over me again. And so that's very interesting. We're going to talk about presidential politics in just a minute. Is Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, a real physical conservative? We've talked before about him being a moral or ethical conservative, but is he a fiscal conservative? And we're going to hear from his own words today uh, some sound that I think will make every voter uh, reconsider whether or not Rudy Giuliani is against higher taxes and spending. We'll also talk about Fred Thompson, who says he's the real conservative. And I want you to call now. The number is 800-881-9270. Who do you support and why for U.S. president? Is it Hillary? Is it Obama? Is it Thompson or Giuliani? 800-881-9270. That's 800 800- Eight eight one nine two seven zero. We'll take your calls in just a moment. Well, some weighty questions today on the program. We're going to talk about how are we to live? How are we to think about questions of life, questions of death, questions of personhood? These are sort of ethical issues. And tonight's guest, Dr. Peter Singer, is a professor of bioethics at Princeton. And he's also laureate professor in the Center for Applied Ethics and Public Policy at the University of Melbourne. He's got some interesting ideas with regard to the moral standing of animals and also when personhood begins. 
course, science today is raising many ethical questions, such as should human-animal hybrids be created for medical research? We've talked about this before. They are actually considering this in England. And in the news this week is the idea of human beings marrying robots. That's a strange one. Technology is constantly raising these ethical conundrums. Now, you may not know this, but Dr. Johnson's Ph.D. is in Christian ethics, and uh, he couldn't be further from our guest, Dr. Peter Singer's position. So the interview coming up, it's going to be more of a debate, and I think you'll find it very interesting. That's right. If you've not heard of this man, he's the most published ethicist alive today, the most influential living philosopher. And uh, But you need to be ready and put your seatbelt on, because this man believes in abortion, but not only that, in infanticide. That is, the taking of... Um, Baby life outside of the womb, not just in the womb. He's also for active and passive euthanasia. He's for assisted suicide. And so we will not agree with this man, many of his positions, but he is the father of the animal rights movement. And we're going to talk about how someone can be pro-animal and perhaps anti-human. And we're going to challenge Professor Singer. He is, I think, also the smiley face of abortion and euthanasia. He's a very likable, friendly kind of a guy. And we're going to engage him in debate. And so I hope you'll tune in at 5.15 in the next 10 minutes or so. But right now, we're talking about the presidential race. Now, Rudy Giuliani has been saying that he is Mr. Fiscal Conservative. That is, he's for lower taxes and lower spending. And he got into a tit-for-tat with um, the the uh, former governor of Massachusetts, Mitt Romney, at the last debate about who was uh, running the, uh, the lowest tax scheme and the lowest spending scheme. Was it Giuliani or Romney? And uh, Fred Thompson says today, look... I'm the real conservative. And Thompson gave a speech when he said, look, some think the best way to beat the Democrats in November is to be more like them. I could not disagree more, Thompson says. He says, I believe that conservatives beat liberals only when we challenge their outdated positions, not embrace them. And he was really, I think, attacking Giuliani. And uh, But we have found some sound today. This is from 1994. The next voice you're going to hear is Rudy Giuliani, and he's endorsing the Democrat candidate for New York, not the Republican. And then he says why he's doing it, and I want you to listen. Is he a physical conservative? Here is Rudy Giuliani. I am well aware of the risk that I take as a Republican mayor endorsing a Democratic governor. But I've concluded that the risk is worth taking for the sake of the city of New York and the state of New York. Mario Cuomo will simply be a better governor than George Pataki. Bluntly, what is Mr. Pataki's consummate flaw? He has uh, plans to reduce taxes that are so ambitious and so uh, inconsistent with the performance of the economy of this state. In your mind, that's a no-no. It'd be a disaster. It'd be an absolute disaster. It would be the kind of tax shift that substitutes uh, for sound management. Penna, how do you think the other campaigns are going to use this sound? Wow, the worst thing he can say about uh, Pataki is that he wants to lower taxes. I think that ought to be in the campaign ad of uh, every conservative that's running for president. And people were listening carefully to that debate the other night between Romney and Giuliani. While Giuliani might win on technical points about uh, the line item veto, it was very interesting that Giuliani's defense was that the president was going to defund right. some 
spending projects in New York. And that basically meant that Rudy was standing up for big government as federal tax dollars came to New York City. And that's why he was against the line item veto. He wanted those pork projects in New York City. That's that's big spending. And I think if the Romney campaign, the Thompson campaign, and others want to take advantage of this, there's a huge opening for them to say, look, he was bragging about the fact that he got more federal dollars into New York City, and he backed the the tax and spend policies of Cuomo, not the fiscal conservative policies of Pataki. You know, in doing that, he defeated one of the sort of the linchpins of the conservative uh, economic movement, and that was the line item veto. He actually got that defeated. It went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. That used to be an applause line for Ronald Reagan, Mm -hmm. and Giuliani is taking the opposite position. Well, we've got callers on the line. We want to know what you think about the presidential race, who you're supporting, how do you see it now. We've got Frank on the line from Little Elm. Frank, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Dr. Johnson. Um, yeah, unfortunately, the candidate that I like pretty much is not getting any traction, and that probably would be Mike Huckabee, although uh, he's not that strong in immigration. A little traction, just a little bit. A little bit, um, and I certainly like Tom Frio. I think they would make a great ticket together. Um, the problem is that they're just not getting any press, which means they have very little dollars. But I would vote I would vote my conscience, Dr. Johnson, from a, from a principal standpoint. I would tend to agree with Dr. Dr. Dobson that... I cannot vote for anyone who would ever consider uh, being anything other than pro-life. I will vote for life uh, all my days, and if my candidate loses, then so be it. But I think that's the right choice. Frank, thank you for that call, Penn. I think there are a lot of Christians and a lot of just pro-life conservatives out there, Democrats or Republicans, that share this kind of conviction. And uh, this is not going to go away. But what's interesting, Frank did mention fiscal conservatism at all. He went back to the -hmm. sanctity of human life. But what's interesting is this. This sound that we played today of Giuliani wanting more tax money, more tax and spend kind of a policy, that's been the one thing that he's claimed that he's good at, is reducing taxes, reducing spending. And if he doesn't have that, what does he have? And, of course, uh, tonight he's going to be on Hannity and Combs, and we've got a little preview of the interview here. And Giuliani's going to basically say, look, I'm going to be running against Hillary, and I don't know her experience. She's never run a city. She's never run a state. She's never run a business. I have. He's going to say, you know, I've... I've uh, run a city, and he's going to say about uh, Hillary, I'm trying to figure out where her experience is. And so he's now going to be talking about experience. And But I'm just wondering if in the next few months uh, these other candidates are going to say, wait a minute, let's look back at his tax and spend policy. The war is going away as an issue, at least to, to some degree, because things are getting better in Iraq. And by the time of the general election, it may have even faded more. If his economic uh, bona fides go away, he doesn't have a whole lot. Mm. Well, we've got another caller on the line. That's Rick. Rick, thank you for calling and holding. What's your view? Well, I'm, you're going to say that uh, I'm a flip-flopper on this. <laughs> okay, go ahead. But uh, I called before, and I had said one thing, but... I'm going to say now that you have educated me a bit more. Wow. And so I'm going to say that I would go with um, uh, Thompson and Huckabee, just like this last caller that mm-hmm. called in. Um, I, I cannot go with someone that's going to have the views uh, on abortion that um, uh, Giuliani has. And, and uh, two, everything else that I've been hearing about him lately tells me that he's not even a Republican. <laughs> wow, yeah. So, 
So well, anyway, he used to be uh, a Democrat. Yeah, put me in there the same with um, Frank, with this last guy. All right, and, Rick. Thank you for that call. It'll be very interesting to see if Texas actually has a primary role this year. It's very possible that after Super Tuesday, there still will not be a nominee with enough delegates to win the nomination. And that means other states could actually make a difference. In the past, we really haven't. But Texas could make a difference in other states. And we've got another caller, San Diego, on the line. Thank you for holding and calling. Uh, What's your view, San Diego? Thank you, Dr. uh, Johnson. You know, one of the things is like the previous two callers, I think, is that people are really concerned about the moral issues and, uh, you know, as evangelicals, is, is, you know, where do you stand and are you willing to take a stand for pro-life and marriage between a man and a woman? And, you know, I think, you know, as a politician, you know, you can talk about lowering taxes, but once you're in office, you know, it's a whole different monster to, to be able to, you know, stand behind that, that promise. And I think the really thing that evangelicals are really considered is, are you willing to take a stand in front of the public, in front of you, and uh, really make that firm decision that this is what we're going to do, you know, as a nation and as a country? And, uh, you know, I think that uh, although they say that they don't give, uh, you know, Mike Huckabee uh, enough, uh, you, know, um, you know, PR, I think that uh, people are starting to realize is that he is a good candidate, and I think as long as he's standing for moral, uh, moral issues, that he's going to get the backing that he needs. And ultimately, God's in control as long as, you know, uh, as Christian, as a Christian people, as we go out and vote uh, and, and do our due diligence and really pray about who it is that uh, we're looking to put in office. Hey, thanks so much for that call. Uh, Penna, you're going to be at the Value Voter Summit this Friday, mm-hmm. and we're going to have a live report on Friday night. You're going to be up in Washington, D.C., and I know there's going to be a, another meeting of many conservative leaders as an adjunct to that meeting again, as we had in Salt Lake City, to say, where are we now? And um, what do you sense right now among Dobson and Bauer and Tony Perkins and others? Uh, do you feel like conservatives... Pro-lifers are coalescing around a candidate yet. No, I don't think they've coalesced yet. They're going to hear from all the uh, Republican candidates at the summit. Including Rudy. That's right. I do think what I'm hearing is, because that uh, last meeting created quite a buzz, and everybody's talking about it, that they're saying, we really don't want to leave the GOP. We want to elevate somebody else. And hopefully, maybe that person will surface this weekend, and people will begin to gel around some candidate. All right. Listen, we've got some great guests this week. On Thursday night, you're going to hear former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton will be on the program Thursday night, and Ann Coulter will be here on Thursday night. Do not miss it. But next, from Princeton University, Peter Singer, a very controversial ethicist, are all human beings persons? Professor Singer would say they are not, but some apes are. What do you think of that? If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. 
Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Last Sunday's Dallas Morning News asked the question, What separates man from beast? And they covered a growing movement. In Spain, Parliament is considering a bill that would grant personhood to great apes. In Italy, the Supreme Court decided this year that animals must be given the same care normally paid to minors. And there are three Spanish islands in the Mediterranean. I think they're called the Balearic Islands. Parliament has approved an initiative this year granting apes the right to life, the right to freedom, and the right to be protected against torture. With us to talk about it, the man who is called the father of the animal rights movement, his book in 1975, Animal Liberation, is the kind of Bible for the animal rights movement, Dr. Peter Singer. Dr. Singer, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. All right, Professor Singer, you have been called the most influential living philosopher and also the most dangerous philosopher, uh, but certainly you are the, uh, the leading thinker and writer in the animal rights movement. Tell us what you think of these legal developments, and if you would, just, I mean, this is very strange to the folks in Dallas, Texas, uh, make the case for granting uh, rights to apes, to chimpanzees, and uh, breaking down the barrier between humans and animals. Okay, well, firstly, let me say that I think throughout our history we have used animals uh, as if they were just things for us to use. I mean, legally, still animals are property. People can own them. They can dispose of them. Uh, And, you know, within some restrictions that anti-cruelty laws impose, can do more or less as as you like with them. Uh, so what the animal movement is really saying is that there's something wrong here. Animals are not just things like lumps of wood or cabbages. Um, they have uh, feelings. They can feel pain, for instance. They also, certainly if we're talking about uh, animals like uh, other mammals, they can have emotions. They can be afraid. Uh, they can have uh, feel uh, concern for each other. They're, many of them are social animals. They care for their young. They have relationships with each other. And uh, these things mean that we shouldn't just think of them as, as things for us to use. Uh, we should recognize their interests, and we should regard those interests as carrying moral weight with us so that we do wrong when we violate those interests unless it's for some overwhelmingly uh, important, you know, overriding sort of purpose. Now, um, we can put that, if you like, in terms of saying that, therefore, animals should have some rights. Um, I don't think that's the only way to put it. And, in fact, in my book, Animal Liberation, I don't really talk very much about rights. What I talk about is uh, the idea that animals have interests and that we shouldn't discount their interests just because they're members of another species. Uh, I call that speciesism in the book. Um, Speciesism. That's right. I I use that term to make the parallel with 
racism uh, or sexism, and I yeah. think generally most enlightened people now agree that racism is wrong, that the idea of regarding someone as inferior just because they're a member of another race and treating their interests as less important is something we shouldn't do. So I would also say that to say that, for example, the, the, the pain suffered by a dog or a chimpanzee or a pig um, doesn't matter because that dog or chimpanzee or pig is not human is, is an example of speciesism. It's, it's a prejudice against taking seriously the interests of a being because it's not a member of our species. Uh, so what I see the animal movement as trying to do is to combat that prejudice, to get us to look properly at animals, to say, hey, they have lives that matter to them. Uh, we should not be ignoring the way their lives matter to them. And so to that extent, they should be more on, on an equal footing with us. Now, that doesn't mean in every respect they should have the same rights. That could lead to, to absurdities in, in some situations. But um, But we shouldn't see this sort of huge gulf between us and them, as if somehow all Let's humans are on a higher moral status than any non-human animal possibly could ever be. Let's talk about that gulf. This is Jerry Johnson Live. I'm talking to Professor Peter Singer. He's written the book Animal Liberation. Also, very popular textbook called Practical Ethics and a follow-up, Rethinking Life and Death. You know, Dr. Singer, I, I want to go back to what you said about this gulf, because uh, this is a, a Christian worldview kind of a radio program, and I think a lot of Christians would be surprised that in la Animal Liberation and Practical Ethics and Rethinking Life and Death, you quote Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, uh, that uh, human beings are created in God's image and given dominion over the animals, and you say, I think, that that has informed one kind of ethic— and you say there is another kind of ethic that really flows from Darwinian evolution. Could you talk about those two views briefly, and which view is your view? Right. Well, firstly, I don't really think any ethic flows from Darwinian evolution as such. I think Darwinian, I, I think given that we understand evolution properly, um, my view is that it shows that the Genesis account of creation is false, that we were not in fact created in the way that Genesis describes, and that we simply evolved together with other animals uh, on this planet. And I don't believe that there is a God who gave us dominion over the animals. So given that, I think we have to work out our ethics in relation to animals from what we can see of what they are like. And that's why I say it's a different ethic than the ethic that we have dominion over them. I mean, if you, if you believe in a God, uh, if you believe that what God has done is good, and if you believe that God gave us dominion then over the animals, uh, then certainly you would have a different view, I guess, I suppose, if you believe that. I do believe that, but, well, but let okay, me ask you a follow-up question on that, because I'm, here's what I'm thinking that uh, there are two ways people think about animals, animal rights. Uh, one is kind of the Disney version of lifting animals up to the human race and giving them sort of human uh, characteristics. Uh, but the other one is to drag human beings down to the level of animals. And I want to ask you this question. Do you feel it's fair to say of your view that you're not lifting animals up to the level of human beings, but you're actually pulling human beings down to the level of animals, and you're saying human beings are not created in God's image. Human beings evolve from animals, 
and human rights, animal rights should be judged on the same basis. Is that a fair assessment of your view? I think they should be judged on the same basis, uh, whether that's dragging humans down. I mean, I guess it is, you know, if you really believe that uh, there is a God and that humans were made in his image, then I certainly deny that. Um, yeah. I don't think that's true. I, think I do believe it. Over, well, <laughs> but, I mean, my view is that if you just sure. look, at, look at the science here, um, it's pretty clear that that's not the case. There's an overwhelming amount of science to support the idea that we have gradually evolved uh, from uh, other animals, that we are not a special creation in that sense. Now, we could debate that, but without debating it right now, let me ask you this, because you have a proposal for a Copernican revolution in ethics that we would we would take this new understanding that human beings have evolved from animals and but you're in the United States and you know when these polls say alright ninety percent of Americans believe in God eighty percent believe that the Bible is the word of God two out of three pray uh, do you think Americans are going to be ready to shift this this ethical shift are they are they going to go for that if they don't accept uh, Darwinian evolution well, I don't know. Your guess on that is as good as mine. I mean, I'm not in the business of making predictions about what's going to happen. I'm, I'm trying to work out what seems to me to be a reasonable, justifiable ethic that is not based on any kind of unprovable religious faith, uh, you know, which I think I, we can't really, if we're going to have a community that discusses ethical issues across different religious faiths, and uh, even if the majority of Americans are Christians, uh, this is not, uh, by the Constitution, a society that tries to impose one religion on uh, everyone else. It is a society with people with different faiths and with no faith at all. And if we're going to have a conversation about ethics, then I think we have to try and see what kind of ethical okay. decisions we get Let's to. Okay, let's do that. I, I, I want to, uh, we've got just a couple of minutes before the break. So in place of the Imago Dei, and that is the value of human life, I, if I read your writings correctly, you're proposing a value of personhood instead of the value of human. And I think you would say, is this correct, that... that um, uh, not all persons are human, and that's really where you make room then for some animals. Is that correct? Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I think actually that what I propose is an ethic that has two important foundations. One is the capacity to feel pain or to suffer, and conversely to be happy and to enjoy life. And I don't think you have to be a person for that. I think that it's clear that there are many non-human animals that can feel pain. Now, I use the term person to refer to a being with a higher capacity than that, a being who has some self-awareness, who can see themselves as existing over time. So it's the kind of being who, for example, could make plans for the future, which I think some animals might not be able to do, but perhaps some non-human animals like uh, chimpanzees, perhaps you know people who have dogs may believe that their dogs can make plans for the <laughs> right. future anyway. Um, so I think there are some animals that could be persons. I also think, of course, there are some human beings who are not persons, those that have, for example, severe brain damage that may be uh, damaged during birth that have, have never been persons because they could never actually see themselves existing over time. Well, let's so, pick so up right there. Of... We're at a hard break, uh, Professor Singer, and I'm sorry to have to interrupt you. When we come back, let's pick up on that. Some human beings who are not persons, so you can explain that some more, and we'll ask some follow-up questions. And, and what kind of a world will we have if uh, we're moving this direction? This is Jerry Johnson Live, our guest, Professor Peter Singer of Princeton University. 
Uh, We need to know what others are thinking and others are saying, even if we disagree. And he'll be back in just a moment uh, after the break. listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Have you heard of the Great Ape Project? Our guest is a contributor to a book about the Great Ape Project. He's Professor Peter Singer. He is the DeCamp Professor of Bioethics at Princeton University. He has written the book Animal Liberation, also Rethinking Life and Death. We're back with Professor Singer just now. Professor Singer, right before the break, you mentioned some human beings, maybe not persons, maybe never been persons. Could you elaborate on that just a little bit? Right. As as I said when we were talking before, I think we should have an ethic that does not base is not based on what species you're a member of, but is rather based on what you are like, what kind of characteristics you have. So, if we are comparing, uh, looking at beings, I think it's very important. For example, whether a being can feel pain that matters a lot to how you want mm-hmm. to treat them, and I think. Part of the problem with animals is that we don't take that seriously into account. And, and here I, I should mention, since we haven't talked about it before, I'm particularly thinking of the literally billions of, of farm animals that live in intensive farms where they're very closely confined, can't move around, uh, hens that can't spread their wings, uh, pigs who can't walk or turn around because they're so closely confined. That's been your cause in animal rights. That has really been my major cause in animal rights because the numbers are so vast and because this is really something that we don't need to be doing. You know, we, we don't need to do it to feed ourselves. We can feed ourselves in other ways without inflicting the suffering on animals. So, so that's been the, the actual issue that I've been campaigning on most uh, and that I've as well as the books you've mentioned, I've written a book, a book called The Ethics of What We Eat, uh, about applying ethics to our food choices to avoid this kind of uh, treatment of animals, plus, of course, to avoid the, the environmental damage that we sometimes do with the way we raise food. All right, so you mentioned, though, back then to how that might affect human rights. Uh, it's not so important what uh, race we're part of, homo sapiens, but what we are like. And so let's talk about, I've seen in your text, uh, indicators of personhood is kind of a concept. You've mentioned capacity to feel pain is something you would factor in, but personhood something else. Self-awareness over time, plans for the future. Now, I have to ask you a question because I did a looking at this, and uh, Joseph Fletcher came up with, uh, I think, 14 indicators of humanhood. And then I think you kind of built on that with these indicators of personhood. Um, if there are, if there's an IQ test, if there is a self-awareness criterion, if there's plans for the future, what is sort of the irreducible minimum, I guess, for you uh, from that 14 to 2 or 3? Um, what would you say is the, the irreducible minimum of, of personhood? Well, I, I think that it's probably this awareness of yourself as existing over time. So are you, I mean, it's, it's difficult sometimes to actually test that, but if we think, well, is, is this a being who can, can think to, to him or herself, uh, I was, I've existed in the past, you know, these things happened to me in the past, and perhaps 
uh, things will happen to me in the future. You know, I, I will. I can hope to do this. I can hope that this happens. Uh, I can want to be with my mother or someone I care about, whatever it might be. Uh, if you have those those kinds of thoughts about yourself as a separate being existing over time, then uh, I would say you're a person. Okay. Well, uh, Professor Singer, I know we've got another minute or so, but I, I wanted to ask the question, what kind of world would result if we switched from the sanctity of human life ethic, which really holds up human life as created in God's image, to this sort of um, personhood uh, standard? You've called it a, pers- a Copernican revolution. Of course, we would value animal life more, but uh, as I understand it, you'd be for abortion, for infanticide, for euthanasia, for assisted suicide, or at least that um, those things should be legal. Is that correct? Um, under certain circumstances, I think all of those things should be legal. That's correct, because I think the fetus is not a person. Um, in the case of uh, newborn infants, particularly those born with very serious disabilities, I think parents should be making choices here. I, I'm not going to say that I think any particular infant should not live, but I think parents who sometimes face a, a, a terrible challenge in having to bring up a very severely disabled child with, without much prospect of improvement, I think should be able to make choices about uh, euthanasia in those cases. And I also think that uh, people like you or I should be able to make choices towards the end of our life if a doctor tells us that we only have a month or two to live, if that's confirmed by another doctor, uh, if the quality of our life is deteriorating and we don't want to go on living, then I think, although we are persons certainly there, but I think as persons we can exercise our choice, our autonomy, and we should be able to ask a doctor to help us to end our life if we don't want to live it to the very end. And how do you react to those who say, oh, this is a slippery slope, Leben zu fertus Leben, life unworthy of living, let the German conscience be your guide. If we head down this road, um, we're, we're, we're going to be killing people, and that's not a good thing. Well, I just don't see that these are the same situations because the Germans, of course, gave all power to the state, to a totalitarian state, and I'm talking about giving choices to individuals. Uh, Also, we have had, of course, several years now, I think seven or maybe nine years even, of of physician-assisted suicide in the state of Oregon. There's no sign of a slippery slope there. The numbers of people uh, requesting the uh, assistance of a physician remain very small. I think it's about 40 or 50 a year. Um, I don't see any evidence of of anything bad happening in in the state of Oregon. Do you Uh, agree that in the Netherlands or in Oregon, though, where we have legalized voluntary euthanasia, we've seen an increase in involuntary euthanasia? No, I definitely don't agree with that. I've actually done surveys on that, and I think there is no evidence of that. In fact, I did a survey in Australia when I was living there at the time where voluntary euthanasia was not legal, and I found uh, a higher incidence of non-voluntary uh, euthanasia being carried out in Australia. I think, uh, I think a lot of it goes on in other countries, but it's simply not reported, whereas the Dutch doctors have been more open about it, more ready to talk about it, and that leads to people erroneously concluding that there is more of it happening there, but I don't think that's true. Final question, Professor Singer. Uh, you're, we're in the United States. You mentioned uh, God and atheism. Uh, the U.S. Declaration says we are endowed by the Creator with inalienable rights, the right to life. Do you, f- do you see where people might be concerned that this undercuts uh, the rights that we have in America, particularly the right to life? 
Well, I, the, the Declaration of Independence isn't a legal document. It's not. Uh, it's not part of the Constitution. I think of it's. Uh, you know, it's it's a fine piece of rhetoric. But um, I think, in fact, that that is. Uh, you know, not a right that everybody wants to have. I think we should be able to, as the people of Oregon can, uh, we should be able to decide that we don't want to go on living, and I don't think that that threatens uh, other rights of those who choose to go on living. So I think we should basically allow everyone to have their own choice, their own, their own free choice on that question. Professor Singer, I want to thank you for being willing to be on with us today. Uh, I believe in God, and I know you don't, and we disagree on these issues, but I appreciate your willingness uh, to be with us today. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate your willingness to have me on. I think it's uh, good that we can have discussions on these matters. All right, we'll have you back. Thank you. Okay, folks, there it is, Professor Peter Singer. He has been called the most influential living philosopher today in the English language. If you go to a university and take a philosophy course, uh, ethics course, you're going to look at a Peter Singer book. You're going to have practical ethics. You're going to have animal liberation. You're going to have rethinking life and death. Now, what we're going to do for the rest of the show is talk about Professor Singer's view. And I know our listeners, I know some of you said, interrupt him. Uh, debate him, get ugly. <laughs> but I wanted us to just listen to what he had to say, and now we'll take some time analyzing what he had to say. And I want to start where where we ended, and that is this. Uh, Professor Singer, of course, acknowledged that he did not believe in God. He does not believe in God. You can see this in his articles and his publications. He is an atheist. And, of course, he does not believe in the Imago Dei, that we are created in the image of God. But um, whatever you want to say about Thomas Jefferson, uh, he didn't want a church state or a state church, but he wrote the Declaration of Independence. And even Alan Dershowitz said on our program that that is America's birth certificate. You heard uh, Singer said that's not a legal document, but Dershowitz says this is our birth certificate in the United States. It's who we are as a country, as in a culture. And Jefferson said the right of this nation to separate itself from England is based upon this, a self-evident truth that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these, the right to life, the right to liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is uniquely American. The American culture and experience presupposes There is a Creator who has created us in His image, and that's different from the animals. When you read the book of Genesis, and Singer is right to go to Genesis 1, 26-28, and to say this is the Western ethic. And he's very clear to say this is the traditional Western ethic of the sanctity of human life, that we are created in the image of God. The only problem is, Singer says... Ever since Darwin, we know that's not true. And so he says that Darwin refutes Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Now, we did not have time to debate the merits of Darwinism. We did not have time to talk about intelligent design. We did not have time to talk about the meaning of the text in Genesis 1. I wish we could have had that debate. We did not. But I'll talk about that a little bit when we come back. And I think there is good scientific evidence for a creator, for a designer. And the Bible presupposes the existence of God. But even if you did not believe in the existence of God, are there reasons 
to say that human life is special and different qualitatively from animals. You'll be surprised who disagrees with Singer. People like Jane Goodall, the woman who studied all of these apes, she says there are fundamental differences between human beings and apes. We'll also talk about what kind of world would we have if Singer's policy was followed. Let the German conscience be your guide. Remember, Michael Ferris, tomorrow. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. All right, I mentioned Michael Ferris will be on tomorrow to discuss the Bill of Rights, and we'll ask him about the Declaration of Independence as well. And tomorrow night, Dr. Terry Mortensen from Answers in Genesis. We'll talk about creation versus evolution. What is the real scientific evidence? But Dr. Peter Singer is an evolutionist. And he says that the sanctity of human life doctrine, which has dominated Western culture, is based upon Genesis 1, 26-28, that we are created in God's image. And we have dominion over the animals. And to get to animal rights, he has got to undercut human rights. And so I said, and it's very important for you to understand this, this is not the Walt Disney approach of lifting animals up to the level of humans. This is dragging human beings down to the level of animals. And singers saying human life should only be valued on the same basis as animal life. That is, what kind of a being do we have here? Uh, intelligence, IQ, self-awareness, capacity to feel pain, so on and so forth. But the fact is this, there is a lot of evidence today, and I encourage you to look at the intelligent design movement if you want to look at scientific evidence that shows there must be a creator, there must be a designer. Um, or just look at um, critiques of evolution, like Philip Johnson's book, Darwin on Trial, or Behe's book, um, Darwin's Black Box, and many, many others. The intelligent design moving movement gaining a lot of traction. And, of course, Singer really had no answer when I said, look, 90% of Americans still believe in God. 80% still believe the Bible is the Word of God. So our culture is not going to buy Singer's proposal, and it's good for us that we don't. But the fact is this, there are those who do believe in evolution who still think there's something qualitatively different between 
the human race, and animals. And I point to Jane Goodall. It's very interesting that Singer references her work in his books positively. But Jane Goodall does not agree with Peter Singer. She says she's a kind of a theist. She's not an Orthodox Christian as far as I know. But she says human beings have a spirit or a soul. They have the capacity to pray. And this is just a theistic kind of an argument that apes and dogs and pigs and whales lack a spiritual component. And there are many theistic evolutionists who would agree with her. I am not a theistic evolutionist. I'm a, I believe in creation. But in any case, even many evolutionists would disagree with Singer on that point. But let's move on. What did you think of this statement? Singer said, Some human beings are not persons. Some human beings have never been persons. And he accuses us, really, of speciesism. If we say human life is special merely for being human, he says you're a speciesist. What do you think of that? Well, I want to say not only is that a, it is a biblical idea that human life is special and sacred at every age and every stage, it is not only a biblical idea, it is an American idea. It is a very powerful idea when Thomas Jefferson writes that human beings are endowed by a creator with inalienable rights. Our culture, our civilization presupposes that a creator has made us in his image and gives us a right to life, a right to freedom, a right to private property. This sets us apart from atheistic Russia and atheistic China, which the citizens do not enjoy those rights. Mr. Singer enjoys living in the United States. He enjoys the freedoms, but he wants to reject the foundation for those freedoms. And I think it's a very inconsistent thing to do. And did you notice this? And he didn't want to talk about this. When I asked him about Joseph Fletcher and the indicators for humanhood, which Singer turned in to indicators for personhood. So Singer says, all right, we're not going to have a value of human life. We're going to have a value of personhood. You have to be person to have a right to life. You have to have self-awareness and planning for the future. You've got to be a being that wants to keep on existing. A fetus isn't that way. A comatose uh, individual is not that way. Singer says you've got to be a person. So what are the indicators? And uh, Joseph Fletcher said they are indicators of humanhood. And he went through IQ. He went through self-awareness over time and plans for the future and relating to others. And Singer took that and called it indicators of personhood. But do you notice the circular nature of that? Fletcher's article, Indicators of Humanhood, talks about human beings. What makes us human? He pulls out some indicators there. And Singers uses that to then deny that some humans are persons. Uh, Singer really is the speciesist here, if you think about it. Why didn't he pick the ability to do photosynthesis? The plants have that ability. Why didn't he pick the ability to have an exoskeleton? The insects have that ability. Why didn't he have the uh, capacity for metamorphosis? Um, there are other creatures that have that capability. I'll tell you why, because those are not human characteristics. No, they pick human characteristics like self-awareness over time, plans for the future, IQ over certain, and then they project that back against and onto the weakest members of our species and say, if you don't measure up to the ideal, you're not even a person. Even though you're a human, 
you're not a person. And that's a circular, self-refuting kind of an argument. But the thing that bothers me the most is what kind of world would we have if Singer's proposal was accepted? Well, animals would certainly have more rights, and you couldn't go to Chick-fil-A, you couldn't go to um, McDonald's, you couldn't get a hamburger, you could not get a chicken sandwich, and uh, apes would have uh, rights, they have lawyers already, there is a uh, discipline of animal rights law now, and there are lawyers being churned out that are de- defending animals. But the worst thing would be this. You would have more abortion, more euthanasia, more infanticide, more assisted suicide. Because again, Singer is not lifting animals up. He's dragging humans down to the level of animals. And he's saying we all are on the same playing field. And he actually said this once in the journal called Pediatrics. He said that a pig has as much of a right to life, is as much of a person as an unborn child in the mother's womb. And he had a proposal that parents would have 30 to 60 days whether or not to accept or to euthanize, that is to kill a born child, a delivered child, which might be an encephalic or Down syndrome, or even a hemophiliac, if you can imagine that. Are we prepared to say that a Down syndrome child is not a person? That a hemophiliac child is not a person? I don't think so. And remember this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When God became a man, it was in the womb at the earliest stages of human life. Human life is special and sacred from the womb to the tomb. This is Jerry Johnson Live, Ann Coulter on Thursday, Ambassador to the United Nations, John Bolton on Thursday. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.